The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture this morning is from Revelation chapter 22, starting at verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what soon must take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, downtown church. Beloved, uh, it is good to be in God's house. Praise God for our worship team. Amen. And seeing all the kids up there singing, it's, it's, a, it's a, an anointed and blessed time. I'm thankful for everyone's leadership and leading us in that. Uh, and just grateful for the voices. I think that to see kids sing and praises of God, we shouldn't take that for granted. So that's a beautiful thing. Amen, somebody. Uh, we are in God's word in uh, Revelation 21, if you haven't realized. And we're talking about the second coming. Now, this is a this is nothing that I will, I want to say this up front, that I will exhaust at this time. I only want to talk in particularly this particular passage from the aspect of what it means for Christ to come to us and why we should long for his coming. I think in seeing John talk about this particular um, vision that he has and writing it down, is important because throughout the book of Revelation, obviously, you know, you can be confused. The genre in which it's written, it's 
revelation. And the Greek word for that would be apocalyptics. And so it is talking about what will happen and what will come. And so to look at what's coming should always be something that we desire, especially as believers, because we want to be rescued. We want to be with the Father. We long to be with him. And so the second coming is in reference to the fact that he has already come as a baby, an infant, to redeem, offer salvation. And now he comes again or is coming again in order to restore, to consummate all things, to make all things new. Amen, somebody. Sometimes y'all looking at me and I'm just like, am I talking to you or are you participating with me? Uh, I am, I, I will say this every time, I'm very much of the dialogical aspect of all of worship. That is when you're singing, clapping and raising your hands and that is when you're saying amens. Amen, somebody. Okay, church. So when we understand what it means to desire that, it should provoke something in us. Reading Revelation should automatically cause us a level of confusion because it doesn't necessarily seem to be a logical, logical progression or an understanding of all of the symbols. But in fact, there should be a desire to know, want to know what is this book referencing and why is it calling me to want to desire Christ to come? Amen. Right? And if you haven't already dealt with that in terms of being a believer and wanting him to save you, this is going to be a particular sermon in which you're going to hear why it's important to desire God's coming. Amen, somebody? Let me pray for us before we, we dive into God's word. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. For you are the one that is coming. You have already come. And Father, we desire that you send your son again. And then when he comes, Lord Jesus, we will see that he has all power in his hands. And Lord, that we will no longer be persecuted by all of the principalities, all of the worldly things in our society. But in fact, we will find refuge, strength, and victory in our Savior who will call us up to be with him. And we, Lord Jesus, will have total comfort. And so we pray this, knowing that you have never left us nor forsaken us. So be with us now in this place. Use me as a servant to speak to your people. Hide me beneath your cross. For it is in Jesus' name as all God's people say after singing this hymn that we sing, We Shall Overcome, you heard a brief history regarding it. Fifty years this song has been, over 50 years this song has been a civil rights song. Particularly when I was looking at this passage, I, I, that song immediately came to my mind after reading and diving and understanding what it is, especially in light of this particular month where we, uh, we, we actually honor African American history. But this song is not just a song for African Americans. This song is a song that has gone internationally. This song is a song that we sing all together. And it was the congressman, John Lewis, who actually said that it was this song that when he was walking on Bloody Sunday, that helped him and gave him strength. He said it was this song that reassured him of his faith. 
It was this song that actually gave him the strength to continue to push on, to continue to fight the good fight. But it's not a song in which the individual, any of us, should only see as a marching song. It's not a marching song. It's not necessarily a song of defiance. This song, We Shall Overcome, is a song of power. It is a song of hope. One that we see very much with John who is on the island of Patmos, who is held in prison and away from everything. If he could have this song for himself, I guarantee that he would say, but he had something greater. He had a vision. And the vision that he had was actually encapsulating this reality of you will overcome. That you are not held in prison and, and held captive by yourself, but I am with you. In fact, I have seen an angelic being that is supernatural and you will see the visions of hope that will surpass human realities that will one day become that reality and so the purpose of him writing this book you can imagine John just sitting on that island if you use your holy imagination and see an angel just speaking to him bright light shining and he's jotting down and taking the vision just enter that moment for just a second and say to yourself, as a Christian in that particular moment where I know the emperor is fighting and beating down on me and I don't know what is going to happen, but this reality of this bright light is speaking visions of hope. Anybody have visions of hope? Anybody desire one of the most important things and that is to be with Jesus? Has he spoken to your heart about how he will come? And how he will assure you of his presence. See, this is a strong, strong vision that causes us not to compromise our faith. And this is exactly the purpose of writing this. Because Christians are being martyred. Christians are being held captive. Christians are being beat down. The Christian community at this time, and many of them are falling away from the faith, believe it or not. Many of them are falling to different idols. And what the Bible is saying, what reason John is writing is, he is saying, do not compromise. Endure oppression from emperors, from religious leaders. Endure oppression because the strength that I've given you is that you will see me one day. And take this as a sign. And so this applies, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, to the fact of what we've seen in our own society. That when slaves were going through the Underground Railroad, when they were trying to run away from plantations, when we see all of injustice unfold in the 19th century, you have to come to the realization that slaves were not leaving the plantation without a hope. I don't think that many of them were leaving the plantation without a vision. Knowing that they believe in a Jesus that in some were hermeneutically used incorrectly to hold them in bondage, but God gave them a vision to see beyond the bondage. God gave them a vision to see beyond the bondage. That is exactly what he's doing with John on the island of Patmos. I'm giving you a vision to see beyond where you are. 
That unfolds in various different ways because, see, many of us will say, well, I'm not held as a slave anymore. I have my liberties in some ways. I'm not struggling with those things. And Mike, we're pretty much past chattel slavery, but how many of you are held in bondage by depression? How many of you have had suicidal thoughts and you, you were this close from pulling the trigger? How many pain meds have you taken? in order to try to overdose because you were trying to numb the pain that you were feeling. How have you been held bondage by your personal history? What's going on at home? Being abused or molested? Having to deal with those things that are so hard and so strong and you feel like I'm all alone and nobody has heard me. Hmm. But what I want to say to you this morning, brothers and sisters, is God has given you a vision. He's given us all a vision, and it's in this Bible. And he says, I'm coming. Even though that you've been through some things, I'm coming. And so you know the importance of singing a song? And I was taught this as early, early as a Christian is that you need to always have a song on your heart. Because no matter what you're going through, if you can just say He's marvelous. If you can just say that he's holy, if you can just sing about his goodness, I guarantee your circumstance may not change, but your perspective will. He is a God that has given us hope. He is a God that can always remind us of what it means to be a Christian, even though things are tough. So what do I want you to hold on, beloved? What I want you to hold on to is this, and I think the Bible is teaching this downtown church, is that you need to be sure that God is coming. (laughs) Be sure that Jesus is coming and therefore keep the faith, downtown church. Be sure that Jesus is coming and therefore continue to press forward with fighting for justice, downtown church. Continue to go through persecution. Continue to endure, downtown church. I believe God is speaking to his people in a very distinct way to remind us even today where we are seeing truth and godliness being picked against each other and there is no way in which we can see that I can live and Take absolute truth and I can also abide and live godly. I'm telling you, the Bible tells us we can do that, church. And the way that it says it is to prepare our minds for his coming is this. Keep his word. That's one. Trust in his promises. That's two. And be assured and not surprised. That's three. In keeping his word, you must ask why. Why is it important to keep his word? It's because it's the very thing that enables us to flourish. Through obeying his word. We flourish through obeying his word. The angel saying to him, these words are trustworthy and true. This isn't to be taken lightly. Because what he is saying is it's direct, it's a direct reference of him already communicating in Revelation 21 and 5, where it says, where, 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 the, where Jesus is, God has already said, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so the angel wants to let him know, 
that you may not hear directly from God, but you're hearing words from God. So John, continue to write this down. And as you do, believe that these words are the very thing that continues the covenant relationship that I've had with you from, for so long. You've got to think about how God always makes his covenant relationship with his people. It's through his word. It's through his commands. When you go to Deuteronomy 6 with the Shema, what does he tell you? Keep his words, and then there's a promise you will live a long life. You can also go to Deuteronomy 5 and 29 where he's telling you to keep the word of the Lord. You can go to Psalm 128 and 128 and 1 where it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. There is a direct connection to God's covenant relationship and his word to you in which he is saying, trust me because my character is, my word is, indig is indicative of my faithfulness and my character to you. Some of y'all may, may not feel assured by that. But we ought to. Because the very thing that you feel like you're keeping is actually keeping you. That reality changes and shifts because as much as many of you feel as if, well, if I, if I, 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 I still got some people who are dealing with some legalistic you know, remnants of, of, of not understanding the full doctrines of grace. And so, so many of y'all, if, if I just don't have sex, then, then I'm doing God's word. If, if I just don't drink too much, then, then I'm doing God's word. If I, you know what, if I don't, if I don't smoke just, just enough much, I, I, I'm, I'm doing God's word. If I, if I don't sleep with him too many times or sleep with her too many times, then I'm holding to God's word. See, many of us think that if I keep don't doing the don'ts, then I'm, I'm a, at least keep doing the do's. What I'm telling you is that the God of the Bible is saying, you can't keep my word, I'm keeping it for you. Because the promise is, is that he is giving you a comforter in order for you to hold on to the word. And then that reality changes because many of us will think about this, will not think about this, is that when you think about the goodness of Jesus, when you think about the goodness of Jesus, you may have heard this back in the day, but I want you to think about the theology in this. When you think about the goodness of Jesus, it's the very thing that keeps you from doing something crazy to yourself. When you think about the goodness of Jesus, I was just talking to some brothers and sisters about valuing themselves and devaluing themselves and how if you don't have a value of yourself, then it's easy to take the life of another person. But if you have value in you, then you won't take or steal. You won't try to rob or kill if you understand your value. Beloved, he's coming. Keep his word. Because in verse 7, you see what he says is that I'm clearing this up for you. I'm coming. And I will come. In this manifestation, there's a Greek word that is parousia. And what it basically means is the appearance or the manifestation of Christ. And when he is coming, he is saying, I'm coming because I'm not only going to shine a light. You're not only going to see me in heaven, but in full body, in person, and in full glory, my visitation will be in presence and power and it will be permanent. In fact, it won't be secret. It won't be covert. But in fact, you will see and accompany my angels, my army with me. And then many of us who, who know about the rapture and several different doctrines in which you may be post-meal, pre-meal, our-meal, those we're not dealing with this morning, but many of us have somewhat of a different understanding of the rapture. But what the Bible teaches us is that we won't just disappear out of our clothes and go into heaven. 
But what the Bible teaches us is that we will actually be caught up in heaven with Jesus and meet him in his army. Hallelujah. I'm talking the turn up of all turn ups. Because when you understand that the king of glory is coming and then everything that has been going on around you, you can't help but to be caught up in heaven with him, to meet him in the sky. I remember when I was struggling with this in seminary and my professor made it very clear. He was saying, listen, Mike, it is not you disappearing and all of a sudden gone and vanishing. He says, think about it. Anytime you, a king comes to the city, the people go out and meet the king before he comes to his city. And what we do is we go out from the earth and meet him in the heavens because we know that the king is calling and something inside of us says that I am here and we'll call to him. He's coming. Beloved, he's coming. And we know that when he takes us up, he's looking to restore us, renew us, and there will be no more pain as we see in verse um, chapter 21. No more sorrow, no more sickness. All of those things will be done away with. And we will feel full rest. But think about this. In verse 7, he doesn't say just, I'm coming, but he says, you're blessed. If... You keep my word. Keep. Y'all going to keep is an important word in the Bible, and I didn't think about it. But if I would just, I hadn't had time, but if I would just to do a, a biblical theology of the word or just word searching throughout the entire Bible, I could only think, imagine how powerful when he is talking about being kept or keeping, keeping you. Many of you have heard him say that he's a keeper. That reality in which he says keep Keep the words of the prophecy of this book. What this says to us is that it is the source of our strength if we keep God's word. This is the very power that helps us to know and assures us of his faithfulness and allows us also to flourish, to prosper, to do well, to be successful. You see that in Psalms 1 where he says, this is a blessed man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not sit in the seat of the scoffers, who does not, uh, uh, I just missed the other one, excuse me, but y'all know what I'm saying, who does, who does not do what's wrong. But what does he do? He keeps the word and then he meditates on it. I guarantee saints from what the Bible says, only what God says, that if you hide God's word in your heart, I guarantee that you will have a sense of comfort. I guarantee that if you hide God's word in your heart, that you won't sin against him. Because that's what the Bible says. It, an object reality for many of us that says that God's word is worth keeping. It's worth keeping. And the, real, the reality is, is that when you have hidden his word in your heart, there's, this is not a sensation, nor is it over-emotionalism. But what it is, is this assurance. And it's the very thing that convicts us. His word, if we have it hidden in our hearts, beloved, will continue to help us not try to take our lives, but to give our lives. And what I mean by that is, all of us value our lives. 
in one way or another. But what the word says is that if you keep it, it's the very thing to remind you of what life actually is. I'm coming. It's what Jesus is saying. In fact, not only keep it, not only hide it in your heart, but meditate on it. Meditate on God's word. It leads to fruitfulness. And the practice of meditating on God's word actually helps many of us in areas where we struggle with ourselves. When you don't feel like you're good enough. When you feel as if, like, I'm insecure. It is my spouse looking at someone else. Meditating on God's word makes you understand who you are in Christ more and more. It sounds like, oh, this is simple. But I, but I guarantee when you walk out of these doors this morning, something's going to tell you you're not good enough. Something's, you're going to be reminded. Maybe about what the clothes you got on. Maybe by looking at what somebody else is driving. You're going, to be tr- you're, you're going to be reminded of lies. And what the word does is helps you be fruitful because it gives you and it reminds you of truth. Meditate on God's word. John, after seeing the angel, he struggled. A real struggle. You see, look at verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I want you to look at, look at what he says. I fell down into worship at the feet of an angel to show, who showed them to me. And he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And your brothers and prophets and those who keep the, keep the words of this book, you know what you need to do, John? Worship God. I found that in light of understanding that God is coming, we have to know who we're worshiping. In looking at this, and that, that, mind you, there's just so much that's in, this, in these few verses, but we can't get out of it because he's talking about, I'm an angel just like you and the prophets, a fellow servant. <laughs> but that was something for John to see a vision that actually made him fall down to worship an angel. John had just been reminded in chapter 19, don't worship another angel. He does it again. God's word is so powerful that sometimes we don't know what we're worshiping if we don't know his word. What I mean by that is you can be worshiping leaders. You can be worshiping Every other thing about church and not worship God. Keeping his word reminds you of who you ought to worship. Many of us listen to so many podcasts, but we don't read the Bible or the scripture whether we listen to the podcast. Many of us, we go to various different conferences and worship various different religious leaders around, but yet we don't necessarily worship God. What are we falling down to? Many of us are hesitant in terms of giving our lives over to Christ so much so that we don't even understand what it means to be a covenant member to one another in community. And we worship our individuality. 
What I mean, beloved, is that if you keep the word, it's going to remind you of who you are to worship. Are you tracking with me this morning? And so if we worship God just like he made the mistake, if somebody is worshiping something else, you know what you need to do? Remind them just like the angel did. As simple as that. Don't worship that, brother. Don't worship me, sister. Worship God. And when you feel yourself worshiping something else, when you feel yourself compelled to worship something else or to idolize something else, I just want to remind you, if you're a believer this morning, worship God. Because he's coming. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to miss out on trusting his promises and the benefits of being a covenant member, being a believer, being one who is, in tr- who is actually engrafted into the family of God. Number two is that we ought to trust his promises. Trust his promises. We keep his word, we need trust his promises. So I want you to think about how many people made a New Year's resolution. If you made a New Year's resolution, say amen. I know a lot of y'all made more resolutions than that. If you ever made a promise to yourself, say amen. How many times have you broken a promise to yourself? How many of y'all still out here doing keto? And because and, 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 uh, and, uh, that's the new diet right now. I can't remember what the uh, other five million of them. But I want you to think about how you break promises to yourself and that it causes you to struggle with trusting in God's promises. There's a direct correlation. Whether we want to say it or not, if we, it, it, when we break promises, promises to ourselves, when we overpromise to other people, it, it causes us to not to trust in the very promises that God has because some of them we feel as if they haven't materialized in the way that we want them to. And thus, what happens is we struggle with trying to understand what it means to hold on to God's promises. But he tells them, he tells John, he says, listen, don't seal up this word. Don't hold it up because typically that's what happened. Do not seal it up. It's out. Keep it out. In fact, make sure people see it because those who are already doing evil, they're going to do evil. Let them do evil. Those who are already doing filthy things, continue to let them do filthy things. But those that are doing righteous things, keep them to, help them to continue to do right. And those that are doing holy things, help them to continue to do holy. By showing them the word. The word exposes those that are doing evil and those that are filthy. And the word actually affirms the promises to the righteous and to those that are holy. Five of y'all should have ran around the building already. And the reason being is, is because I think that when you struggle with knowing and remembering what, what it means to hold on to a promise or what it means to be faithful, you're trying to do it in the midst of persecution is a bigger challenge. It's easy for somebody to promise you something and it's okay and everything's okay. But John is talking to people who are being killed, who are actually starving because of economic oppression. People who are actually being held captive because they believe in Jesus. I remember when I was a teenager and I first became a believer, my family was the biggest 
attack on my life. They literally would ask me, why do I believe in God? They asked me, why was I not having sex before marriage? They asked me, why was I not drinking and smoking? Why wasn't I going out with them and doing the things that they were doing? I'm not going to make it seem like I was extra super holy. God really came around and kept me somebody. So I, I, I did some wrong, okay? But I found that even when it came theologically, I was challenged on who God's person was, the person in the work of Jesus Christ. Why do I believe in him and not believe in the universe? Why believe in him and not believe in Elijah Muhammad? Why believe in him and not believe in any other thing around me? I was challenged over and over again in my faith as a teenager by these realities. And all I can think about is, Lord, I'm trying to do what you've called me to do, but it doesn't seem like nobody's around me trying to do the same thing. But then I was just sharing with some brothers the other day. God sent me about six brothers who helped me walk in the Lord and strengthened me in the Lord so that the things that I would go back into with my family, I knew that I was actually able to continue to stand now on the promises of God, knowing that those would be the very things that will uphold me when I am actually receiving persecution from the very people that I believe that love me. To chase after holiness, to do what's right, is trusting in God's promises. Because you know that he will one day rescue you. He's coming. And this, why, this is why for the Christian community to know that God is Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and end, means that the victory that we think may not be won has already been won. The work that was, we think that we have to do is already done. That's why when I went to seminary and I heard about the finished work of Christ, it was a reality that impacted me in such a deep way that I didn't necessarily have to just don't do the don'ts. But I can live in the grace knowing that God has shown me his favor, not according to what I've done. That should speak to our hearts and our minds. Because our society is set up to not necessarily show grace. Not necessarily anticipate hope. But it's to work from hopelessness and fighting from hopelessness still with a life that's meaningless. Does that make sense? That's what society teaches us. Whereas Christians, we have hope and we're not hopeless. And we have meaning, and we're not meaningless. And that allows us to continue to stand and trust and fight. Singing the bomb of Gilead reminds me, if you know what a bomb is, it's a sweet, a bomb of Gilead is, it's a sweet, it's a rare perfume and a sweet aroma that actually reminds individuals and even actually was used for healing purposes. But when you think about a smell or a scent of somebody that has come to rescue you, I want you to think about this for a minute. 
That smell of scent is a reminder of what? Anybody ever have somebody pass away and you still held on to their clothes and smelt their cologne or smelt their perfume? And it reminds you and floods you with reminders of who they are and what they meant with you. Always, I know I like food, so I always like to make the, the comparison. Forgive me, Thanksgiving isn't here, but I love it. Because I know when I went to my, my granny girl's house, that's what we called her, she was my great aunt. When I went to her home, all of my great aunts lived in. They reminded me of the Golden Girls. Because they lived in a house on Minerva, and then it was this big home in St. Louis, and you knew when you went over their house for Thanksgiving, you was going to get a meal. There was no doubt about it that the meal was coming. And so when, before you walk in the home, standing on the porch, you can smell the aroma. And so in smelling the aroma, you knew that they're cooking something. Cornbread, black-eyed peas, greens. Some of y'all like, how, uh, like the, 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 the pork in it, some don't. To each his own. Also green beans, mac and cheese, German chocolate cake, sweet potato pie, that's me. And so I make sure that I make sure I, I say hi to great aunt. I say hi to this great aunt. I say hi to my cousin over here. But I'm always making my way to the kitchen. <laughs> As I'm making my way to the kitchen, I'm making sure that the food is prepared. You know, we have the old paper plates. The phone, not the paper plates, the phone plates. And they crack if you put too much on them. So I always made sure I double plated my food. Slap on some greens and slap on some mac and cheese and slap on some meat, turkey, ham, and call whatever you want. And I'm putting it on and my plate begins to crack just a little bit. I make sure I set that down and I get my sweet potato pie and a German chocolate cake. I'm going to go work out after that. <laughs> but a couple weeks later. I make sure I drink water that time. And I soda and I sit down. But what, what reminds me is that here it is, a sweet aroma that something is coming and that I'm preparing my palate for what is to come. And if I know that what is to come is promised, I can trust that those that are in the kitchen are making something that is a greater reward that I can even, that I can, I can even imagine. And that is what happens when we wait on Jesus and we trust in his promises. And that we know that there's a bomb in Gilead and we know that God in his own promises are coming and we can smell a sweeter aroma of his presence and that when he comes it's the very thing that we've been standing on because we know that he's promised it to us. Y'all are saying, Mike, what are you saying? I'm saying that the reward is not what you're going to get, it's what you already have. He's made the promise that I'm coming but he's already come. It's finished but not in total completion. And this is why the next thing is important, because you ought to be, be assured and not surprised. 1 Thessalonians 4 says that he's coming like a thief in the night, but we're not supposed to act like people of darkness. But because we are children of the light, we are actually going, not going to be surprised, but we're going to be aware and assured that the presence of God will be with us and that it is coming. Beloved, that is what we actually hold on to because then when we look at Genesis, we know that that was promised that full restoration will come by the end of time. And so them, they are saying we're living in the last days and understanding that Genesis 
315 and now we're two millennia away from what was told to them was a promise. We can still actually look forward and be assured that Jesus is coming. It's not a surprise. Be awake. Be assured. And that's why I said keep his word because if you're not awake, you will, you'll fall asleep. And you won't, you, it's not that you will miss him coming, but you need to be alert that he's coming. You don't want to fall asleep while Jesus is coming. I mean, also you trust in his promises because you want to know by the sound of the trump that that is God coming. That is him saying that he is in the air with his army for his people. And when we understand that, beloved, it comforts us. For those that are believers. And we know that judgment is coming for those that are not believers. Judgment is a harsh thing. But be assured that if you don't believe, you will be judged. And be assured that if you do believe, you won't be surprised. My son, I love putting him to bed. Because sometimes it's the best conversations. And so he'll start talking about God. And in talking about God, one day he said, he was just like, Daddy, you know who made me? I'm like, what are you, you, you talking about? Uh, God made me, Daddy. I'm like, okay. Yeah, okay, I'm going to keep spitting that uh, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And he says, uh, you know who made our, our dog, Chloe? I said, who made him, MJ? God made Chloe. I'm like, okay, you understand that God made dogs too, Okay. He said, he goes on and talk about all these things that are being made, and then he switches. He said, Daddy, you know who the ultimate superhero is? Because his room, he has all of these, he loves the Avengers. And so as a, I just try to fall in love with whatever he falls in love with. I've never read comic books or anything like that. But he loves it, and so like I start going to the library and getting him some books. I start getting him interested in the Supermans and, and all of that. And he says, you know what, Daddy? The ultimate superhero is Jesus. I said, look at you. <laughs> and so then I went on ahead and I started spending some theology to him. I said, said, listen, son, you're right. He is. He is the ultimate superhero. In fact, I want you to notice that no superhero is like Jesus. Because sometimes you can be in a pinch, but Jesus, he's not going to just let you be in a pinch and then get you out. He's actually going to restore absolutely everything. Superman can't restore everything. Wolverine can't restore everything. They they can only fight a couple and knock a couple people out. But Jesus, when he comes, he's actually going to consummate absolutely everything. I know you don't know what consummate means right now, but I'll tell you a little later on. But you need to know, son, that the rescuer is coming and as he is coming yes he is the ultimate superhero but he is one that will remind you that he is good and that he is faithful so yes you're four years old but when you're 14 and you're struggling know that he is the superhero when you're 21 and you're struggling know that he's a superhero when the shorty walking up on you and trying to make you fall and be tempted know that he is a superhero son I'm trying to tell you that you believe in the right God and beloved downtown church I'm trying to tell you this morning that he's coming and you believe in the right Jesus. You believe in the right God. You believe in the one that is coming and he will rescue you and bring full restoration because that is his promise. So keep his word and be assured beloved. Let me pray for us. Father we love you and we bless you because you help us to keep your word. You help us to wrestle in life but you assure us of your promises and we thank you Jesus. Help us God to continue to be watchful and praying. Help us God to Love you by your strength and help us to love one another. And as you do, Lord, let all of us look to the heavens 
from which our help comes from. For it is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. So all God's people say, let us continue to worship God by giving the gifts of God.